The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is on high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. And that in Hebrew, anybody know what praise the Lord is? Hallelujah. Okay. So it's just a direct translation from hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Is Yeah. It's actually not one word. It's. Three words, hallelujah. Yeah, it's actually praise Jehovah. Okay, it's a short name at the end, Yah, hallelujah. That's short for Jehovah, right? So, Yah, all right. All right, let's see here. We've got uh, Leviticus 11, verses 24 through 47 today. Dietary laws, part two. Let's see here. Starting in verse 24. By these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. The carcass of any animal which divides the foot but is not cloven-hoofed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches it shall be unclean. And whatever goes on its paws among all kinds of animals that go on all fours, those are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries any such carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It is unclean to you. These also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth, the mole, the mouse, and the large lizard after its kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. Anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean. Whether it is any item of wood or clothing or skin or sack, whatever item it is in which any work is done, it must be put in water and it shall be unclean until evening. Then it shall be clean. Any earthen vessel into which any of them falls, you shall break and whatever is in it shall be unclean. In such a vessel, any edible food upon which water falls becomes unclean and any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean. And everything on which a part of any such carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether it is an oven or cooking stove, it shall be broken down, for they are unclean, and shall be unclean to you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern in which there is plenty of water shall be clean, but whatever touches any such carcass becomes unclean. And if a part of any such carcass falls on any planting seed which is to be sown, it remains clean. But if water is put on the seed and a part of any such carcass falls on it, it becomes unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, he who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. He who eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. 
He also who carries its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth shall be an abomination. It shall not be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly, whatever goes on all fours, or whatever has many feet among all the creeping things that creep on the earth, these you shall not eat, for they are an abomination. You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters and of every creature that creeps on the earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean and between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. A lot of verses, I know, but we'll be through them very quickly. And um, today is one of those days that makes me personally rejoice that we are no longer at church on the beach. Okay, I am very, very happy to be sitting in this particular uh, particular building with these wonderful people, not worried about lightning strikes or rain or umbrellas or any of the other things that we went through for, what, three years? Um, Okay, let me read you a couple verses before we get into our sermon. I told you I was going to do this and uh, I am going to continue to do it at different times in the book of Leviticus. Acts chapter 9 Verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, speaking of Paul, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I said last week that uh, people would, some people would have a problem with um, this sermon and that they would, um, you know, want to reject the word of the Lord and say, well, the law is still in effect and you're not to eat this food and that food. And sure enough, somebody posted right on uh, YouTube that that was the case. And they were talking about giraffes, which are never mentioned in the Bible. They were talking about all kinds of other stuff, but then they're saying that these things are still in effect and we, we can't eat certain foods. And so there's no theology there. There's only what you have been told and you believe and you don't check it out. And they reject exactly the word of God, which they say I'm rejecting because it says right in the word of God that this is annulled, obsolete, and finished. So here we go. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to go to uh, verse 14. Having wiped out, wiped out means erased, having wiped out the writing of requirements, meaning the law that was against us and which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He embodies the law. The law is nailed to the cross because his body is nailed to the cross. He died on the cross. He didn't come back off the cross, right? He was taken off the cross. The law is dead, okay? The symbolism is right there. If you just look, he was nailed to the cross. He died on the cross. The law died with him. Somebody took him off and put him in the grave. The law is done, okay? Down to verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Food, drinks, Sabbaths, all done. The substance is Christ. While I'm going to the book of Hebrews, I want to just um, 
uh, repeat to you Hebrews 4.3, which is, now we who believe in him do enter that rest. I'm not going to read it out of the book, but that's what it says. We are in our rest. He is our Sabbath rest. So we don't need to worry about Sabbath days. Okay, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 7, and I'm going to read verse 12. For the priesthood being changed... Of necessity, there is also a changing of the law. We were under an old law. Now we have a new priesthood, hence a new law. The old law is done. He says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 18, For on the one hand, there is an annulling, ending, wiping out, annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Everything we're reading about in the law of Moses was weak and unprofitable. It could not save anyone. Only God's grace can save us. Verse 13 of chapter 8, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. And finally, in Hebrews 10, verse 9, he takes away the first, meaning the law of Moses, that he may establish the second, meaning grace in Christ. What is it that makes a thing unclean? Are tomatoes unclean? Well, let me tell you a story about tomatoes. When I worked at the Siesta Key wastewater plant in high school, they used to have surface aerators on top of the contact and the re-aeration tanks. Surface aerators have a motor with a shaft that goes straight down. At the bottom of that is a propeller, just like on a boat. Okay? The propeller runs so that it pulls all of the water up from the bottom of the tank and it blasts it up into the air. In order to keep the water in the tank, there's a large disc that the motor sits on. As the water pushes up, it hits the disc and it fans out over the surface of the tank, thus aerating or providing oxygen to the wastewater. Without any wind at all, there's still plenty of overspray. And with even the slightest of breezes, the spray gets pretty much everywhere. The whole plant had a very nice brown tint to it. But there's more fun than that. Tomato seeds come into the plant by the jillions, as do all kinds of other fun stuff. But the tomato seeds are small enough to pass right through the screens and go into the tanks. Things like money don't, though, and you can stand there and you can pull out $20 bills. And during the, I'm not kidding. I found thousands of dollars on Siesta Key especially because people will snort cocaine and they'll throw their $100 bill away or whatever. One time, you, you've got your mouth open, so I'm going to tell you, one time I found $450 of half bills, and I know exactly what happened. Somebody got mad at her boyfriend, and she took all of his money, threw half of it in the toilet, and flushed it, and left the other four. You can just see it. You can just see what happened. You find money in there all the time, okay? But you got these tomato seeds in there, and they come through, and they slip through these screens. And from there, they blow right out of the tank, and they find a new home somewhere on the plant grounds. And of course, tomato seeds grow up into tomato plants. And with all of the fertilizer blowing around, there are some pretty healthy tomato plants that were to be found at the plant. All kinds, too. You'd find big ones and little ones and round ones. It was like a tomato farm. And the plants were always covered in a nice brown tint. How many of you at the plant would say, I'm going out to get some tomatoes for lunch? Just curious, because that was a normal lunchtime experience at Siesta Key Utilities Authority. Were they unclean? No, but if you knew where they were from, you may say, yeah, those are unclean. Some things are medically unclean. Some things are culturally unclean. Some things are unclean because of a defiled conscience. And some things can be unclean because the Lord says they are unclean. Our text verse comes from Acts chapter 11. Now, remember, I just read you all kinds of unclean stuff, right? 
Acts chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision and an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. Last week we saw what half of those things picture. And I heard a voice say to me, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. What the Lord once said was unclean was suddenly called cleansed. How could that be? Is the Lord fickle? Did he change his mind? Or was it that the foods which were deemed unclean were actually never truly unclean except to the people of Israel to teach them a lesson? Folks at CSTQ Utilities Authority ate tomatoes that you might be a little bit leery over for lunch or something like that. But if nobody told you where they came from or what type of fertilizer they were covered in from day to day, you would be oh so happy to eat some of those nummy, nummy tomatoes. And if nobody ever told you their history, you'd say them's was the nummiest tomatoes I ever did eat. There are people all over the world that eat things that we would think of as crazy. And many of us will eat something today that a law-observant Jew or a severely confused Christian might think was crazy. And yet, what God has cleansed through the work of Jesus Christ is wholly acceptable and is not to be shunned unless you just don't have a taste for it. Yesterday at IHOP, I had, um, what do you call them, Um, uh, not pancakes, but uh, they're the thin things, crepes. I had crepes and I ordered a side of bacon, okay? It's clean. It is cleansed by the work of the Lord. The law, it served a purpose, and that purpose is finished, It is set aside, it is obsolete, and it is annulled. This is because it was nailed to the cross of Christ. It's all to be found, just a minute, I hate tomatoes, so stop looking at me like that, okay? I never ate any of them. Great stuff is to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have just two thoughts for you today. The first is carcasses and creeping things. It's verses 24 through 38. Verse 24, by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. This verse is referring to what lies ahead in verses 26 and 27, not that which we saw last week. However, it is a categorical expansion of what was said in verse 8. There's a precise logic to the progression of thought in how the chapter is laid out. Anyone who touches one of the carcasses that will be described shall be unclean until evening. This term is now used in this way for the first time in Scripture. There was a state of defilement which existed, and it would continue until evening. As Hebrew days go from evening until evening, it is indicating that the state of defilement lasted until the starting of the new day. Only when the old had passed away could the new come in. This then looks forward to the work of Christ in two ways. He died in the afternoon, but was buried as the evening approached. With his death and burial, all defilement of man was truly washed away. This is seen in Matthew 27 with these words. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. 
When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Verse 25, whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Carrying a carcass implies that the garments have become defiled, as it would be highly improbable that it did not touch the garments. The defilement of sin represented by death had to be washed off. This then is actually the second way it looks forward to the work of Christ. Although speaking of the tribulation period, we see the concept of having washed one's garments in Revelation chapter 7. It says, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This occurs at the end of the age, represented by the evening time, when all things are made new. Whatever age one comes to Christ, it is for that person the end of the age and the entering into another. This is seen in Hebrews 9 when speaking of the work of Christ. Here's what it says in Hebrews 9.26. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It is through Christ that all defilement is washed away. Though the dispensation of grace has lasted for 2,000 years, it is still the end of the ages for each who comes to him by faith. When this dispensation ends, there will be a final seven years of tribulation, and then the millennium will be ushered in. As far as defilement for touching an unclean carcass, an offering was required for this, as is noted in Leviticus 5, verse 2. However, what seems to be implied is that this offering was only required if this necessary purification of washing his clothes was not accomplished through negligence or forgetfulness. If it was performed on the day in which the defilement occurred, then there would be no need for such an offering. Verse 26, the carcass of any animal which divides the foot but is not cloven-hooved or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches it shall be unclean. The words, the carcass, are inserted here, but rightly so. It is speaking not of any animal in all of these categories, but the carcass of such an animal. If this were not the case, then merely touching a horse, a mule, or a donkey would make someone unclean. However, it is obvious from Scripture that this is not the case. Even in the law itself, the touching of such animals is perfectly acceptable. You got a pig over there? Pet it on its head. You're not going to be unclean, in other words. In verse 26 and 27, we will see animals which are specified by their characteristics. In verses 29 and 30, we will see them identified by specific names. The animal carcasses which do divide the foot, but which are not cloven-hooved, or which do not chew the cud, are unclean. As we saw, not having a cloven hoof is a person who does not rightly divide the word. A person who does not chew the cud is typical of a person who may or may not know the word, but they do not apply it to their lives. The Lord is using real animals to make spiritual images of the various states of man. The eating of the carcass of such animals was not allowed, but even further, simply touching them made a person unclean. Verse 27, and whatever goes on its paws among all kinds of animals that go on all fours, those are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. The word translated as paws here is kaf, 
Literally, it's a hand or the sole of the foot, just like yours or mine. This then is referring to animals whose feet resemble the hands and feet of a human, such as monkeys and apes and dogs and cats and frogs and bears and things like that. Verse 28, whoever carries any such carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It is unclean to you. This is a general repeat of verse 25 given for specificity concerning this particular group of animals. Verse 29, these also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth, the mole, the mouse, and the large lizard after its kind. The holed or mole is introduced right here, and he will never be seen again in scripture. Say hello and goodbye to him. The word comes from heled, which means world. The idea here is that which is temporary and flies swiftly away, just as a mole glides swiftly. The word heled is used in the 17th Psalm, and it tells us what the mole pictures. Here's what it says. With your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world, that word right there, who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with hidden treasure, They are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. In picture, the person seen in this mole is noted in Philippians chapter 3. Here's the picture we want to see. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. The akbar or mouse is next, and that will be seen six times in Scripture. It's derived from the same word as spider, which is akavish. This gives the sense of entangling, just as a mouse would weave together its nest. This is the type of person who is spoken of by Paul in the book of Galatians. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you Nothing. The mouse is the person who weaves the law into the grace of Christ and thus rejects him. And next is the tsav, or large lizard. It comes from a root meaning to establish. This leads to the idea of clinging fast, just as a lizard will cling to whatever it's on. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 to abhor what is evil and to cling to what is good. The lizard is emblematic of those who would do just the opposite. They cling to evil and they are unclean. And I'll tell you something about lizards. Some of you may know this if you have never picked up lizards. It is impossible to catch them. They will run away from you forever. They just run and run and run. You try to catch them, and they're just everywhere. But when you pick one up, you finally catch it. What do they do? No, they just stick to you, and you can't shake them off. They will bite you. They will flap their tail. But what I'm talking about is they, they, they just get on you. And so that is what you're seeing pictured right here with the lizard. It's something that once it gets it, it clings to it. Like that person that posted on YouTube last week. They cling to the law of Moses because they cannot let go. They need to stop being a lizard, and they need to just let go. And I know this because I take out the garbage at the mall every single day, and there's always lizards in the garbage. And I hate to throw them away, so I pull out all the garbage, and I finally get, there's just a lizard in there. I'm trying to catch him. He's running all over the place, and he won't let me touch him. But as soon as I finally get him, I cannot get him off of me for the world. That is a person who is clinging to the law of Moses and cannot let go. They don't understand that the Bible is pointing right to them. Verse 30, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. The gecko, or anaka, is known for crying out. If you've ever heard a gecko, they really do, or they groan sometimes. 
This animal is reflective of those who groan out against the truth as described by James in his epistle. The koach, or monitor lizard, is also a very, very common word in the Bible, which gives the sense of force or strength, either in a good or a bad sense. This is reflective of the person who boasts in his own strength and not in that of Christ. He then is the opposite of what Paul says when Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. After that is the leta'a, or the lizard. You can greet this one in as it comes into scripture and as it goes back out the back door. It is only seen this one time in scripture. It comes from a root which means to hide. The scholar Bochart says that it creeps close to the ground and it is poisonous. It is emblematic of a person Paul and James speak of who have a tongue which is deceitful and full of deadly poison. Next is the chomet or sand reptile. You can also say hello and goodbye to this fellow as well. He's only seen here in scripture. Chomet comes from an unused root meaning to lie low and thus to creep. Such a person represented here is seen in 2 Timothy 3 verse 6. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts. Then finally is the tin shemet or chameleon. This is the same word used to describe the white owl in verse 18. It's the same name. Okay, it's like having two animals completely different and yet they have the same name. It is from a root which means to pant as in a hard breather and hence to blow away or to destroy. As we saw, it speaks of those who come in to destroy the faith of others. Verse 31, these are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. <clears throat> Again, one is unclean until evening by touching any such carcass. As long as we can remember that each of these is showing us a spiritual picture of uncleanness in specific people, we can more readily understand why this is included. Believers are to separate themselves from such types, except in matters of evangelism. Verse 32, anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it is any item of wood or clothing or skin or sack. Whatever item it is in which any work is done, it must be put in water and it shall be unclean until evening, then it shall be clean. This verse specifically singles out items in which melakha or work is done. Nothing is said about such things that are not used for work. All of these items were non-absorbent and therefore they simply needed to be washed and then they were unclean until evening. On the other hand, verse 33, any earthen vessel into which any of them falls, you shall break, and whatever is in it shall be unclean. An earthen vessel is absorbent, and therefore it was to be broken. In type, the clay jar is a picture of humanity. We see that in both the Old and the New Testament. In Leviticus 6, a clay instrument which was used for holy things was to be broken in order to not transfer holiness. Here it is the exact opposite reason. When it is touched by something defiled, it was also to be broken. The person who has absorbed defilement must be destroyed. This will either happen at the cross of Calvary or it will happen at the final judgment. The holy is not to be mixed with the profane, and we as earthen jars are to be filled with that which is holy. After that, we are to keep ourselves from being mixed with that which is profane. Verse 34. In such a vessel, any edible food upon which water falls becomes unclean, and any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean. In such a vessel, those words is speaking of any vessel in verses 33 or 34. 
if they have food in them and that food is moistened with water or if there is any type of drink in such a vessel and it becomes unclean by one of these carcasses, then the food or drink becomes unclean. It is not to be eaten. In other words, the unclean vessel defiles the water and the unclean water defiles the food. Verse 35, and everything on which a part of any such carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether it is an oven or cooking stove, it shall be broken down, for they are unclean and shall be unclean to you. Here are mentioned the tanur and the kir. The tanur are small fire pots or even portable earthenware furnaces. The tanur represents, as we have seen several times in previous sermons, divine judgment. The kir or stove is seen only here, this one spot in the entire Bible. It is a cooking range consisting of two parallel stones across which the boiler is set. And it comes from the word kur, which is a furnace. It is a picture of divine testing and purification, as in Isaiah 48, verse 10. Write that down and go look at it later. The picture is clear. There is to be complete purification from and judgment of uncleanness from such defilement. Verse 36, nevertheless, a spring or a cistern in which there is plenty of water shall be clean, but whatever touches any such carcass becomes unclean. The Mayan or spring has not been seen in the Bible since Genesis chapter 8 at the time when the great springs of the deep gushed forth. It is a spring which issues water from it. The bore or cistern is similar. It is a well or a pit. These are then described by the word mikveh mayim or gathering together of water. The idea here is that they have water flowing in them underground. Because of the large volume of water which they contained, and especially for such a pit which would continuously re-nourish itself, the water would not be considered defiled. However, someone would need to go in and get the dead thing out, and such a person would become unclean in the process. In other words, the carcass remains a source of defilement, and yet he could wash with the water from which it was pulled out of in order to cleanse himself. One can see the word of God all over this. It is that which purifies us. It is a constant flow of purification, and it will not become defiled. But the one who applies it to their life can still become defiled through mixing with the profane. Thus, we need to watch our lives and purge out that which is unclean. Does everybody see that picture? It's as clear as it could be. Verse 37, and if a part of any such carcass falls on any planting seed, which is to be sown, it remains clean. The word zeruah is introduced right here in the Bible. It will be seen only now in Isaiah 61, verse 11. It indicates a seed which is sown. A seed is a seed until something is done with it. In Masada, Israel, a collection of date palm seeds were preserved in an ancient jar which dates back 2,000 years. Okay? In 2005, they were planted and one of them sprouted and has since grown, going on to reproduce after its own self. It is affectionately known as the Methuselah palm. Until its seed had something done to it, it simply remained a seed. This is the idea that was understood 3,500 years ago. Seed that was to be planted did not pick up defilement. It remained impermeable to such impurity. If a lizard or some other unclean animal died in a pile of seed, it would not become impure. Verse 38, but if water is put on the seed and if any part of any such carcass falls on it, it becomes unclean to you. There are quite a few opinions on what this means, but it should be obvious. 
If seed becomes wet, and if a carcass falls on it, it becomes unclean. If seed has been sown, then a carcass wouldn't fall on, right? It's under the ground. Water is the main key to begin germination. Once water is applied to a seed, it begins the process. Therefore, if unsown seed has had its shell weakened in this way, then the seed itself becomes defiled. It is not to be used for cooking or for sowing. It is defiled. The picture is obvious. Like seed, which will produce after its own kind, if a doctrine is defiled, it will only produce defiled doctrine. It cannot be made pure. Seventh-day Adventists have defiled doctrine, and they cannot have it made pure. They need to separate themselves from this. The Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Jesus Christ. That will never become a pure doctrine. It is seed which has become defiled. The Catholic Church says certain things that are defiled, and they will never become undefiled. They must return to the fount, to the source, in order to become pure. All false doctrines are unclean, and they are to be thrown out. Everybody got that picture? It's very clear when you think it through. Unclean until evening. What will I do? Nobody saw me touch that thing, and yet this is right. To myself and to my God, I must be true. And it's only ten more hours until comes the night. It's kind of hard for me to understand this. If I had touched it at 5 p.m., I would be unclean only one hour. What am I not getting? Or from the law, what did I miss? That being unclean would carry such a varying power. What is it about the ending of the day? What is it about the turning of that one hour that will my debt of uncleanness pay? What is about that certain time that carries cleansing power? I know that in Messiah, all of this will be made known and the revealing of every mystery will be shown. Our second thought today, you shall be holy for I am holy. Shall I repeat that? You shall be holy for I am holy. How often we forget that in Christianity, right? How many churches fail to proclaim that simple sentence right there? Verses 39 through 47. Verse 39, and if any animal which you may eat dies, he who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. This is speaking of any animal which was considered acceptable as food. If it died, meaning naturally, or being killed by another animal or the like, but not in the proper manner where its blood was first drained, it was unclean, and touching it would make the person unclean until evening. What must be considered after hearing the term unclean until evening now for the seventh time is what that must mean. As I said earlier, this is picturing the work of Christ as it must be. Nothing is said anywhere about the time of defilement. It might have happened at 6 o'clock in the morning or at 5.48 on a day when evening started at 6 p.m. The period of defilement ended at evening, the beginning of a new day. No distinction at all is made between 12 hours and 12 minutes. The defilement ends with the new day. Thus, the defilement does not cling for a set period of time. It also means that the defilement is one of conscience. More often than not, only God and the person would be aware of what occurred. If a person had a conscience of their defilement, they would let it go at evening time. That's what they were instructed. Let go of what you are guilty about. This is why it's so important to remember that all debts, all debts and all defilement are forever removed in Christ. And the purification of the conscience in him should therefore be permanent. This is why the good news of the book of Hebrews is such good news. 
There we are told that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Our sins are paid. You should have no conscious awareness of sin. Like, I can't believe that I'm going to go to hell because of that. If you've called on Jesus, it is done. And that is pictured in this unclean until evening. It's all pictured there. It doesn't matter if it happened at 6 in the morning or at 12 minutes till 6 at night. If evening is at 6 o'clock, let go of it. And it's telling us that Christ died once for all of the sins of humanity. It's a wonderful picture of grace found right in this set of verses that nobody ever wants to read. And when they do, they really quickly read through and say, I read the book of Leviticus. And they don't remember one thing about it. And it's telling us grace, the grace of God in Christ. Verse 40, he who eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. He also who carries its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Eating the meat of a carcass was forbidden because the animal had not been properly bled. However, if someone did this unintentionally or if they did it out of necessity, it couldn't be considered an intentional sin. It became a sin of ceremonial defilement. For such an infraction, the person had to both wash his clothes and remain unclean until evening. The same is true with someone who carried such a carcass. In the previous verse, we saw that a person who simply touched such a carcass was unclean, but they did not need to wash their garments. And in carrying the carcass of a clean animal, they became just as unclean as someone who carries the carcass of an unclean animal. In this, we see that it is death which defiles, not the type of animal itself. Verse 41, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth shall be an abomination. It shall not be eaten. This is now given as an all-encompassing statement. Besides those eight creatures mentioned in verses 29 and 30, which are forbidden to touch their dead carcasses, and besides those acceptable insects of verses 21 and 22, which we saw last week, all other creeping things that creep on the earth were forbidden to eat. They were to be considered detestable, putrid things. Verse 42, whatever crawls on its belly... Whatever goes on all fours or whatever has many feet among all creeping things that creep on the earth, these you shall not eat, for they are an abomination. The general statement of the previous verse is now broken down into three specifics. One, whatever crawls on its belly, meaning serpents and the like. Two, whatever goes on all fours would be things like scorpions, beetles, and the like. And three, whatever has many feet which describes things like caterpillars and centipedes and millipedes and the like. All such things were to be considered detestable, putrid things to Israel. Of a point of interest, and this is really, really interesting to me, the word gachon, or belly, is used for the last of only two times in the whole Bible. The first was in Genesis 3, verse 14, right before the proclamation of the coming Messiah, when the serpent was cursed by the Lord, here's what it says. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your gachon, your belly, you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. In the Hebrew manuscripts, the third letter of this word is a vav. And it is written much larger than the other letters, a very, very rare occurrence in the Bible. The text then adds in a margin note, which states that this is the center. That letter is the center of the five books of Moses. But don't get too excited about that, because depending on which text is used, this isn't always the case. Other countings place it in Leviticus 8, verse 28, or elsewhere. What is exciting about this large vav is that it is the first use of gachon in Genesis 3.14. There was no vav at all. 
the word is spelled differently, even though it's the same word. But in this final use, there is one, and it's much larger than normal. As a letter, the vav is used as a hook or a transition in the Hebrew language. But the vav isn't just a letter. It is also a word, meaning hook. As a word, it was used 13 times in the Bible. All were in Exodus in the building of the tabernacle. As a letter, it is the sixth letter of the Hebrew Aleph Bet, six being the number of man. In picture, the hooks of Exodus were clearly seen to be that of the divine man, Christ Jesus. It is he who is the hook or the transition between the two realms, the finite and the infinite. Just as the Vav is the connector of words and members within a sentence, Christ is the connector between the divine and the earthly. It is a reference to his incarnation. He is the God-man. Without stretching this too far, I hope, the Vav of this word Gachon appears to be enlarged to once again point us to Christ. Gachon signifies the belly as the source of the fetus. It then comes from the word Giach, which means to burst forth. And sure enough, he is the one who burst forth from the belly of the woman being a man, but who did not inherit the sin caused by the serpent, and who has destroyed that same serpent who moves along on his belly. If this is truly the center of the Torah, then it is even more remarkable. It would be then one more confirmation that Christ Jesus is the very heart and embodiment of the Torah of God, he being the incarnate word, the link between the earthly and the heavenly. Verse 43, you shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them. By eating the detestable things, they would in turn render themselves unclean. They were to be a holy people, and they were to not participate in any activity, including eating, which could then defile them. Here the word yourselves is literally your souls. The very being of who they were would be defiled by such actions. But once again, it is an action of the conscience. Nothing external can go in and defile a man. The life of Israel was to be one of proper conscience towards the Lord. Verse 44, for I am the Lord your God. Ki ani Yehovah Elohechem. The last time the Lord declared his name was in Exodus 31 verse 13, when he said, Ki ani Yehovah Mikadishchem, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now he proclaims his name again, instructing them to sanctify themselves because he has sanctified them. This is seen in his next words. Remember Bob opening us today and talking about exactly this subject? Isn't it amazing? Verse 44 continues, You shall therefore consecrate yourselves. Vehit kadistem. Using the same word which he used in Exodus 31 verse 13, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. He tells them to sanctify themselves. There's this amazing symmetry in the Bible everywhere you turn. The Lord has sanctified his people in order that they may sanctify themselves, as is seen next. Verse 44 going on, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. These words are repeated by Peter in his first epistle, and they form what is truly the main theme of the entire book of Leviticus. But instead of focusing on externals, as in the law of Moses, Peter's words implore the reader to focus on internals. The Lord is holy and therefore his people are to emulate him and to be holy. As always, it is the conscience which dictates this. A person could pick up a bug and nobody would ever know it except the person in God. 
Israel missed this important precept, though. The road observance of externals may lead to a holier-than-thou attitude, like that person last week posting on YouTube, but it cannot lead to a holier person unless it is accompanied by an internal desire to impel the actions forward because of a desire to emulate the Lord. Verse 44 continues, Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What is implied here, and which can be drawn out from the surrounding context, but which took Jesus to explicitly explain to Israel, is that the defilement which occurred here was a defilement of an agreement between the people and the Lord and in their conscience. This has been explained several ways, and it is exactingly stated in Matthew chapter 15 with these words, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever goes into the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Verse 45, for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. This is the first time this expression is used in the book of Leviticus and it's going to be used eight more times in this book alone. He is tying the dietary laws into sanctification and holiness and he is tying those things into his redemptive act of bringing them up out of Egypt. Egypt was a land defiled by animal worship. From the scarab beetle to the cobra, from the cat to the jackal and from the ibis to the falcon, even to countless more And so the Lord has set parameters around animal life in order to demonstrate his holiness. He had brought them out from that. And his intent was that these rules were to show that he is above them all and that he determined what would defile them and what would keep them holy. In essence, this statement is intended to show them the obligations that he set for them. And it was to expose their ingratitude at his goodness when they rebelled and went against his word. He then succinctly sums up his overall requirements once again with verse 45 continuing, you shall therefore be holy for I am holy. Their need for holiness is tied directly into his inherent holiness. Not possessing it on their part meant that they had no part in him. This is a precept which seems entirely missed by them as a people even to this day. When they pray their feast blessings or their Sabbath blessings or all the other blessings that they say in their regular conduct of life, they repeat the words, who has sanctified us with his commandments. But one of his commandments is that they too are to be sanctified. They are to be holy. A partial or selective observance of the law is to make the law void and to nullify the sanctification needed on their part. And I say this because if you go to a Jewish person's house, Today, and they observe the Sabbath, they are going to repeat those words. They're going to say, thank the Lord for the Sabbath, blah, 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 who has sanctified us with his commandments, as if they're holy in and of themselves. He is inherently holy. And he says to them, be holy as I am holy. If they're not doing that, then they have wiped out the entire law. And observing a Sabbath means nothing, means absolutely nothing. That is what Jesus kept trying to tell them. You're sanctified by the Lord in order to sanctify yourself to the Lord. Verse 46, this is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters and of every creature that creeps on the earth. 
This is an overall summary of the law which has been given. However, it is interesting that in this chapter they are listed as one, the land animals, then two, water, three, the birds of the air, and then four, the swarming animals. But the order of this summary that we just read is different. It is the land animals, the bird animals, the water animals, and the swimming animals. This is the same thing that happened with the summary of the sacrificial laws, which, which went all the way from chapters 1 through 7. He did a, uh, you know, a re, what do you call it? He repeated these laws, and he took the second two in the category and reversed them, just as he did here. And I have no idea why, but it's the same thing. It follows consistently. Verse 47 finishes with, to distinguish between the unclean and the clean, and between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. The parameters for Israel are set, and they were given for a specific purpose and for a set time frame. Remember the verses I gave you at the beginning before the sermon? The law is over. It's obsolete. It is annulled. Please don't email me or post that I'm supposed to be eating certain things and not other things. It's as clear as it could be if you pick up the book, stop being a lizard and hanging on to the law of Moses. The law of Moses itself tells you to stop doing that thing. Okay, the people were to use the guidelines in order for them to actively distinguish what could be eaten and what could not be eaten and between what was clean and what was to be considered unclean. Now, in Christ, those things which were once deemed unclean are no longer so reckoned. There's a marvelous freedom in Christ, which these types and shadows only looked forward to. If you're struggling with the many laws found in the law, and if you are attempting to be obedient to some or all of them in order to make God happy, knock it off. If you want to make him happy, put your trust in Jesus Christ and put away deeds of the law. Rest in Christ, trust in Christ, and be freed from the bondage of the law through Christ. Okay, everybody got that? The law is done. Why did the Lord give us the law? It was to show us our desperate need for Jesus Christ. The law couldn't save anything. The law only magnifies our sin before the Lord in our minds, in our conscience, and it shows us our defiled state. And so what we need to do is we need to say, I'm a sinner. I obviously can't save myself through this law. The man who does these things shall live by them, and I can't do it, and I want to live. And so you call out to Jesus who could do these things because he was born without his own sin. He never sinned under the law. And then he gave his life up as a sacrifice to please God on our behalf. Okay? He is the one that took our place. And so we call out and we say, I want what you have done. And he imputes it to us and he grants us his righteousness and our sin is placed right on him at the cross. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We become God's righteousness in Christ and we bear it forever. It can never be lost. We see a picture of it right here. We can get tainted. We can get dirty, but we are pure in the presence of God because of Christ Jesus. Call on him. Be reconciled to God today. Woohoo! Do it. Okay. Next week, I'm sorry, our closing verse, Romans 14, 14, something that I mentioned a little while ago. Here it is. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Right here, conscience. That's what is being shown us right there. All right, next week is Leviticus 12, 1 through 8. It's the whole chapter. It's a very short chapter. It's very important. And we will milk these verses for all they're worth. It's entitled Purification 
after childbirth. That'll be your 18th Leviticus sermon, okay? The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if you have a lifetime of sin heaped up behind you, he can wash it away and purify you completely and wholly. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Uh, Talk about some misunderstood verses. Next week is it, baby. Let me tell you what. Misunderstood stuff. People accusing the Bible of being unfavorable to women and blah, 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 blah. You wait. You wait, okay? Unless the Lord comes first. Hey, all the better. Our poem today is called Dive In. Nothing is unclean of itself. Okay, got lobster in front of you? Nummy, nummy. Okay, here we go. By these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them you see shall be unclean until evening. So shall it be. Whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them, a gruesome scene, shall wash his clothes and until evening shall be unclean. The carcass of any animal which divides the foot, but is not cloven hooved or does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Everyone who touches it shall be unclean, whether cis or bud. And whatever goes on its paws among all kinds of animals that on all fours go, these are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. It shall be so. Whoever carries any such carcass shall wash his clothes and until evening be unclean. It is unclean to you. That is not to be considered proper hygiene. These also shall be unclean to you. Among all the creeping things that creep on the earth, yes, every one, the mole, the mouse, the lizard, after its kind, the gecko too, the monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. Pay heed to this word, just as I have said. Anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean. Whether it is any item of wood or clothing or skin or sack, whatever item it is in which any work is done, it must be put in water for proper hygiene. Then it shall be unclean until evening, you see. Then it shall be clean, so shall it be. Any earthen vessel into which any of them falls you shall break. And whatever is in it shall be unclean, this distinction you shall make. In such a vessel, any edible food upon which water falls becomes unclean, and any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean, even if it has something nummy, like caffeine. And everything on which a part of any such carcass falls shall be unclean, whether it is an oven or a cooking stove. It shall be broken down, for they are unclean, and shall be unclean to you, not a part of your treasure trove." Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern in which there is plenty of water shall be clean, but whatever touches any such carcass becomes unclean. Pay heed to what my instructions mean. And if part of any such carcass falls on any planting seed which is to be sown, it remains clean. But if water is put on the seed, and if a part of any such carcass falls on it, it becomes unclean to you. Yes, unclean is what I mean. And if any animal which you may eat dies, he who touches its carcass shall unclean until evening be. He who eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. This is my decree. He also who carries its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. As to you, I disclose. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth shall be an abomination. It shall not be eaten. This law I have given to the whole Israelite nation. Whatever crawls on its belly, whatever goes on all fours, even from its birth, whatever or whatever has many feet among all the creeping things that creep on the earth. 
These you shall not eat, my holy nation, for they are an abomination. You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps, you see, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them, as you certainly will be. For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves to me, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defy yourselves, diminishing your worth with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Be circumspect in the path that you trod. This is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters too and of every creature that creeps on the earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean as I so instruct you. And between the animals that may be eaten, nummy and good, and the animal that may not be eaten, be sure you have understood. Lord God, thank you for what you have done, what we could not do. You fulfilled the law and now it is done for us. It is over, annulled, and through. Thank you, O God, for the work of our Lord Jesus. And so, through him to you, we give all of our praise, and we thank you for our freedoms in Christ, our matchless King. We shall rest in him and his finished work for all of our days. And to you, O God, we shall lift our voices and sing. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture. Leviticus 11, something that I had never realized until I picked it up and started looking at it a month or so ago, and I'm so honored to be able to share this with these people here today. And anybody that listens in the future, I hope they get a much deeper appreciation for your word, which is so wonderful. It keeps telling us about the grace of Christ. It keeps showing us these wonderful things, and it shows us how to live our lives in a holy manner, separating ourselves from that which is unholy. Help us not to forget, though, that there are people that are unclean out there that need to be evangelized, and we should not restrict restrict ourselves from that. We're not so super holy that we can't go down and speak to them, but we're to keep away from their practices and not participate in them. Help us in these things, Lord. Give us reason. Give us the mind to make right decisions and then to go forth and to speak, telling about this wonderful story, which you keep showing us in hint after hint after hint. How great you are, O God. And thank you for all of the uh, wonderful things that you've blessed us with in our own lives. The good food, the family, the many blessings. Thank you for this church that we can sit in and not be wet and uh, just enjoy our, our morning together and fellowship. And finally, Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with their physical affirmities, their, their uh, uh, infirmities, their uh, financial infirmities, all of the things that would distract their attention from you. Be with each of them and help them to to focus their eyes on you, and as they are, give them the healing that they need. Lord, we thank you for these things. We praise you for them. We exalt you, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.